seems everywhere we look today, there's a new interview, article, or research report on the positive impact of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. There's a growing body of evidence that there's a clear business case for prioritizing a DEI mindset. Workforces with a variety of experiences and perspectives can make better informed decisions and generate more creative and successful strategies. Here to talk about the value and importance of an equitable approach to healthcare, as well as some key strategies and programs that work, are Pierre Theodore, MD, Executive Director of Health Equity at Genentech and a Clinical Associate Professor of Surgery at Stanford, and Dr. Preeti Parikh, Executive Medical Director of GoodRx, a practicing physician, and a Clinical Assistant Professor of Pediatrics at Mount Sinai. The two will examine DEI progress and the challenges specific to healthcare. Preeti, Pierre, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Preeti, as a physician, what does the term health equity mean to you? So as a physician, it means that patients and all people have equal access to health care and that they are provided with opportunity to have access to not only physicians but affordable medications and treatments and be able to have the best outcome possible. And that also includes addressing not only access to healthcare but social determinants to make sure that we address that at the same time as we're addressing healthcare access issues. Sometimes when we talk about um, making progress with DEI, um, the, the issue can seem so overwhelmingly huge and intractable um, that it can be dispiriting, you know, unless you can think of examples of efforts that people have made that have actually worked, people and companies. Um, Pierre, can you, can you think of an example that's really worked to help move the needle? Sure, and Steve, you're making a very important point in that often the policies around health equity and health disparities at very high levels, even global or national levels, but yet the experience of health disparities is often very much at a local level or even an individual level. I don't think that you can create a world-class experience for your customers or patients if you're not at the same time creating a diverse and inclusive environment for your own employees. So it's important for us to create partnerships, for example, with local organizations, community-based organizations that have direct experience with the patients. So over the course of the last several years, going back to 2017, Genentech has made some $200 million in grants to try to find local organizations that do everything from provide childcare for people who are going into the healthcare business, for example, to overcoming transportation bar barriers for patients that are seeking care. So we think that by direct coupling with community-based organizations is where we find the real tangible examples of how we can address health inequity. Preeti, you're a practicing physician as well. Can mm -hmm. you think of, uh, of examples, concrete examples that have worked and have helped move the needle? Yeah, so for example, um, in the South Asian community, cardiovascular heart health disease is, impacts them significantly. There's, according to the WHO, there's our population, 25% of the population in the world is South Asian, but 50% of cardiovascular deaths are in the South Asian population. So if a 
great example is at what's going on in Stanford. Clinically, what they're doing is they have created a South Asian Health Center that focuses on this population to figure out why there's such a disproportionate amount of um, South Asians affected by cardiovascular. And they are not only doing research on, is it the muscle tissue of the heart, the coronary arteries, they've actually found differences looking at genetics and also markers to look at for prevention and treatment, but they're also doing lifestyle um, teaching the community. So they're working with all of their physicians, our South Asians and researchers, and then they also brought in South Asian nutritionists to actually make cultural specific guidance to the community and working with advocates and patients. And Mount Sinai is doing something similar like this. And I've also been able to do this in my own work, where um, in my practice and then now through Healthy Nation and at GoodRx, where we partner with health experts. And what I'm really excited about, what I've been seeing is more personalization, more research going towards really understanding these disparities. I've had the opportunity to see all this amazing research and then bring awareness to it through um, digital health content. There are lots of partnerships on this topic in healthcare. Um, what's your take on them? Do they work? Can you give some examples? Yeah, I think there's no tackling the issues of health equity and health disparities without the idea of partnerships being at the forefront. So I'd like to give you an example is we've created a council of clinical trial centers. We think one of the major issues is that many traditionally underserved populations are not engaged in clinical research. And that has an effect where they are essentially excluded from some of the most advanced clinical care that is available to patients. And so we've created an external council and then an alliance of clinical trial centers that are a series of partnerships so that we are connecting directly with clinical trial centers and giving them the opportunity to participate with us in clinical trials where they address the needs specifically of underserved populations. And this gives us one more way to reach directly to the patients through partnerships. Preeti, we were talking earlier about partnerships and you threw out a couple of examples. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, so one of the biggest partnerships that we've been doing is in terms of awareness um, and going out to the community and building trust about how for example, we did with the black community about cardiovascular health and how they're disproportionately affected and what are the things that they can do to take empowerment on it of how they can get, get screened, their risk factors, get those conversations going. But what we did is that we not only we partnered with a doctor from the community, a black doctor, but we also partnered with a nutritionist, we partnered with patient advocates, we partnered with patients who are associated with community organizations, and then we went even bigger and partnered with like BET, which was a black entertainment television mm -hmm. where a lot of people go because this is where in that community they go and get information, and they were looking for a partnership too in health where we had the actual expertise and they had the community trust. So we can do everything in isolation, but unless you have that partnership with the community, you really don't get that far. And so that's how you can make a big impact. And we did something similar with the Latino community when it comes to diabetes. Diabetes, again, disproportionately affects the Latino community. So we created digital health content that deals with how why there's specific disparities in that community, what obstacles they face. We worked with health experts again from the Latino community, but we also did it in Spanish and in English. And we used, we worked with the American Diabetes Association with um, patient advocates. And so we really worked with the community very closely. And then we took it to Univision and partnered with them because again, that was another 
resource that a lot of the communities went to. And so we wanted to partner with local organizations and patient advocates, but then also somewhere where we can actually um, have a bigger audience. What are, I mean, you use, uh, use one of the magic words, community, right? Mm -hmm. And community-based organizations. Um, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind when dealing with a CBO? I think it's really important to, when you work directly with community, is to bring those people in and whatever efforts you're making. So for, for example, with all the content development that we did, they were involved from this beginning to the end in terms of what we were saying to the community. We got feedback of how to approach the community. So working in collaboration um, and not just going in and saying, hey, this is the research and this is what we want to tell your community, but actually bringing in patient advocates, doctors, health experts, and having them in the process from the beginning to the end. Pierre, from your perspective, what are some of the, the most important factors to consider when dealing with community-based organizations? So, in fact, this is not as difficult as it may initially seem. Often these organizations have standing in their community for decades at a time where they have addressed the needs of patients. And it's important for us to find these organizations because they drive additional trust. And so we go through a process whereby we specifically try to identify community-based organizations that have a long legacy of working directly with underserved populations, and that's where we develop our partnerships. Now, when you're, when you're working with community-based organizations, you're, you're probably also looking at social determinants of health. Am I right? And how does that, how does that factor into um, how you help to, to start to create greater equity? So it's very important to consider the social determinants. I often use the term driver rather than determinants because they are modifiable. One of the problems that we're trying to address is that the disparities are exceedingly expensive to our customers. So we, we are, in a sense, answering an unmet need among our customers. When we look at healthcare systems, much of the costs and expenditures are deriving from populations that are underserved. And so often they are, they're coming to manufacturers, they're coming to organizations like GoodRx saying that there is a problem here that's driving significant cost is related to health disparities. So there's nothing infinitely determined by these issues. They can be changed over time. So I often use the term social drivers of health. But nonetheless, it's important to realize that the diseases that we're confronting are part biological, but they're also social. They're due to where people live and the risk factors that they're exposed to and the air that they breathe and the water that they drink. And these are important factors that drive the severity and the presence of the disease. Preeti, in your practice, um, how, do you, um, you know, how do you factor in social determinants of health? Yeah, so I've been fortunate where I have been practicing during my training and now in a very diverse population. And as Pierre was saying, there are, in New York City, there's different neighborhoods and they have different issues. So for example, if I have patients in a poor neighborhood where there's very few grocery stores where they can actually get food deserts, as we call them. I'm sure many people have heard those, that terminology. So when giving guidance to those patients, finding out where they can get access to affordable food, how, so we have things called New York City green carts. Um, we have farmer's market that specifically are set up for those communities with discounted prices so they can get healthier foods. So having those conversations with my patients to try to find ways to overcome some of these obstacles that they're facing because of 
where they live and they don't have access to healthy food options and they can't afford it and finding solutions for that. Preeti, Pierre, you're both physicians um, and you're both people of color. What was your experience in, in medical school and what's your experience as, as uh, people of color in your practice? Pierre? So I would say my experience as a physician is really what drove me to focus on the issues of health disparity. I started off training in general surgery and cardiac surgery and as a part of the general surgery training I saw a lot of people who were victims of gun violence and who were victims of stabbings and the like and the demographics of that population was pretty similar night after night, roughly 15 to maybe 25 year old African American males. and. And what you recognize, what I recognized specifically was that there were important determinants or drivers that were leading to this disproportionate impact of the disease of trauma. I didn't really at the time have the terminology of social determinants of health, but I knew deeply that there was something in the populations that were driving the risk of disease. So my experience as, a, as an early clinician really began to define an interest, a lifelong interest in addressing health disparity. How has that changed since, uh, since you first began practicing? Well, I think it's taking an increasingly nuanced view as to what are the, the drivers of disease. Many of us in medical school come from a very sort of cellular-based view of what it is to have a disease. A, a disease is a pathway gone awry, for example. We don't think often about the political and the economic and the social issues that are behind that disease. But of course, as you really want to drive changes in healthcare, it's important to take that into consideration. So I would say it's going from an observation as to a difference in population and healthcare outcomes to thinking in a nuanced way as to what are the, the determinants or the drivers of disease. Yeah, I've had, um, I had a very unique experience. So I trained at Mount Sinai in New York City, and one of the hospitals that we rotate in is Elmhurst Hospital in Queens. And as many people had heard back in 2020, um, that is the hospital that got, that community specifically with COVID-19 got hit hard. It is one of the most diverse hospitals and community in the world. And what I got to see firsthand working there and in New York is how those patients really needed someone to acknowledge their diversity and to really understand, as we talked about earlier, that there's different cultural nuances and certain genetic factors and certain determinants that they unfortunately had put them in a situation at higher risk for diseases. And a person of color, I also noticed how much they, if they saw me, those South Asians or even the Hispanic community, there was something about they would come to me and there was a connection that was formed because they, they felt that I could empathize with them and understand when I was treating them and um, through that process. When you have diverse employees giving input, it really improves the product. When recruiting those employees, really taking a deep dive and is that person, that diversity, are they someone who is still truly engaged with the community that they are going to represent? Are they going to voice and give those creative ideas? So it was a really amazing experience as a, as a physician of color to see how that was so impactful also, um, being able to empathize and giving, um, when treating them and talking to them about their conditions really taking into account and taking the time to understand the family as a whole and what other determinants were in play um, of why they were in a situation and how to help overcome and get the best health outcome. When a patient looks at you and says, oh, this is a doc who looks like me, mm -hmm. does that help the treatment process? 
Definitely. As we've talked about, trust is so big, especially in the medical community. Um, when you have that relationship with the patient, they really want to make sure that what you say is what you mean and that I always, as a pediatrician, get questions like, well, would you do this for your child? Mm -hmm. and, um, and having that trust built was, is really important. And so when they see that I am someone who understands that it's not one treatment for all, and I always say that to my patients, I'm here to work with you and I'm not gonna just advise, but I wanna work together and find a treatment plan that works best for you. I think they really appreciate and um, give more trust to me because of that. I might build on PTG's comments in as much as there's real objective data that clinical outcomes do vary, often based on the appearance or the ethnic background of the physician. And when patients feel as though they are heard and they encounter a, an ethnic and a clinical experience that is very familiar to them, it often translates into proved outcomes, things like maternal mortality or even infant mortality in neonatal intensive care units have been tracked to the ethnicity of the providers. So it is truly important in a conceptual basis, but also on a objective data basis that patients do experience better care when they have a diverse set of, of clinicians and healthcare providers with whom they interact. Preeti, Pierre, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about this and more importantly, I appreciate the, the good work that you're doing to, to drive DE&I forward. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.